everyone, welcome to the Career Matters Podcast. This is Nisar Ahmad, your host. Uh, this is episode 69 of the Career Matters Podcast. And uh, this episode, I'm just doing something a little bit different. I'm flipping the script. If you have followed us for the last many episodes, we've usually uh, done the interviews from career experts, leadership experts, and all the content was geared towards candidates, job seekers, career professionals, freelancers. I noticed uh, we all, some of the uh, individuals who come to our site or to the podcast are also hiring managers and recruiters. They're also interested in how to make their jobs easier and finding the right candidates. So this, uh, this particular episode is beginning of what I will call the recruiting expert series. So what I hope to do in this series is bring on uh, guests uh, uh, who are uh, who are professionals in this field who will be able to give you their insights uh, on from the other side. So if you're on the other side, if you're a hiring manager, if you're in HR, if you're struggling with recruiting, then this particular series will be helpful. So with that, we'd like to kickstart. And for, a, for today's uh, Recruiting Expert Series episode, uh, I'm interviewing James Ellis. Uh, he's an employment and talent brand strategist. He's also the host of the Talent Cast podcast. Um, hey, James, welcome to the uh, podcast. Oh, thanks very much. So thrilled to be here. So James, before we get into employer branding, the whole talent strategy and all that, I'd like to, my first question I always ask my guests because I love this question is, where are you calling from? <laughs> well, uh, broadly, I'm in Chicago, Illinois. More specifically, I'm in my living room, uh, <laughs> nine floors above uh, Lakeview area. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a gorgeous day outside. So the, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. But, uh, you know, it's one of those days where you're looking forward to get outside. And I can echo the sentiment because I'm based in Toronto. Uh, people always say in terms of the weather and size, Toronto and Chicago are sister cities. I've been to Chicago myself, a great city, beautiful city. And uh, I know when we are recording this, this is mid-September. So we have a few weeks of summer left. So I can totally, totally imagine your enthusiasm and getting out and enjoying the summer. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. Now, James, a lot of people, I'm sure, around the world know where, where Chicago is. They have heard about it. I, w- I want you to help us out here. Uh, share with us an interesting fact about the city that most people would not know unless they have lived there or been there. Absolutely. So I'm not a native Chicagoan. I've lived in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, Raleigh, North Carolina, Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas, North New Jersey, Florida, London, Madrid. Uh, I've lived all over the place. And what scared me to move to a town or city as big as Chicago was it is so big. It's the third biggest city in the U.S. But what I found is that once you live here, you realize it's not a very big city at all. In fact, it's very small. It's really 25, 27 neighborhoods connected by trains and buses. And that's so different from you know Manhattan or New York or any other big city. You know, when I lived in Houston, it just felt like one big, sprawly mess. And Chicago never feels like that. Chicago feels very manageable, uh, easy to navigate, easy to understand. Uh, when you when I first got here, my wife and I would just jump on a train and say, pick a stop, and we would stop and walk home, and we would see the three or four neighborhoods in the process. And you really start to, like I said, it feels very manageable and learnable. It never felt overwhelming, and I lo- that's what I love about it. 
I had the same experience. I've only had the uh, privilege or pleasure of visiting Chicago once. And you, you spoke about airport. I know there are two big airports, the O'Hare Airport, which is the busiest airport in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot the name of the second one. That's Midway. where I landed. Yeah, Midway. It's in the south side. Yes, Midway. One of the things I found interesting about Chicago, and I was really impressed, uh, for $3, I could get, uh, first of all, there's a train right from Midway, yep. from an airport to downtown. It's only $3, and I could get into downtown uh, without having to deal with traffic. So I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, it's the same for both uh, airports. And, uh, you know, obviously, given it's mid-September, everybody's going to be talking about the whole Amazon and where are they going to launch the next city. And every city is probably looking at their infrastructure saying, what can I do to reinforce it to make it more attractive to Amazon? And I know internally we talk about how to make that trip even faster from the airports downtown. Um, so that's, you know, I'm excited for potentially that kind of uh, uh, augmentation of the train system. The, the trains in Chicago are just so crucial and, and core to who we are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, now I want to, uh, before I, we get into the actual topic, I would love to know a little bit more about you, um, James, and a little bit more about your background, how you got started. Uh, so uh, before we get into the whole topic of employment branding and recruiting, uh, please help us out understand who James is. Sure. So uh, like all people in the recruiting space, I got here by accident. I stumbled into it. <laughs> it was not my <laughs> intent. I don't think anybody majors in recruiting or employment brand. I don't think that's really a thing just yet. Maybe one day. Uh, but I'm a, a born marketer. I've been marketing, a digital marketer since the day I graduated uh, grad school, college or grad school um, in the mid-90s. I have done everything from managed websites and social properties to content marketing strategies to event planning and Marketing, 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 it's all I've ever done. And about four years ago, I moved from a event uh, marketing company to, I got recruited to join a recruitment marketing agency. And that's where I kind of realized that all my experience of bouncing from job to job helped me understand the other side of the table. It really helped me understand that, you know, you can market your company uh, from a consumer standpoint, or you can market your company from a recruitment standpoint. And all the tools are Well, not quite all the tools are the same, but they're very, very similar. The processes are very similar. It's just a matter of understanding a different kind of audience. And there are some specific challenges, and we'll certainly talk about that, I would imagine. But it's just a different extension of employer uh, of brand and marketing, and that's really what I've done. So I've done everything from the agency side to the in-house side, and the you know one is not easier than the other, no matter what they say. It's just a very different set of stressors. Um, But this is really what I live and breathe: is the branding and marketing of companies and recruitment marketing. Because that's going to be a great uh, segue into our topic. And we talk, I, I mentioned the word employer branding. You mentioned that right now. I mean, help us out. Uh, what exactly is employer branding? <laughs> so there are probably as many definitions of it as there are people. I put it very simply. I say there's, there's two ways to think of it. There's the uh, structural academic way, and that is it's the uh, personal perception of what it might be like to work at a company. Or put another way, to paraphrase uh, Jeff Bezos, it's what people say. It's what people say about working for you when they're not being paid to work. So it's really about perception, and that perception is in each individual's mind, and that perception is based on a multitude of factors. Everything from what the news says to what the hiring manager says in the interview to what the perks and the salaries are to the building to the recruiting to um, the ads, the websites, all of it kind of, you know, it comes together to help people form an opinion of what it's like to really work there. Awesome. I really love the phrase that you mentioned, and I think it's worth repeating itself. I just wrote it down. People's, uh, it's, it's it, it, according to Jeff Bezos, it is what people say working for you when they're not paid to work for you. 
Yeah. So Jeff Bezos has a fairly famous quote about your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. I kind of twisted a little bit from the employer brand because generally the people who have the best understanding that on the ground understanding of your employer brand are employees themselves. Now that is both good and bad because those people are paid by you to some extent. And generally people who are paid by you are going to say nice things about you up until the moment that they're not on the clock. And that's when the real opinions start to come out. So um, yeah, that's like, I kind of twisted it, but I always try to credit Jeff as, as the, as the core thinker of the sentiment. Okay. Fair enough. So, uh, so it's everything in terms of starting from the website to how the media perceives you to uh, the, the feeling someone gets before they start working for you. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to understand what a brand is. Now, some people think a brand is a logo or a, a tagline or whatever. And I, I like to go back to Nike. I think Nike is a great example. People think the, the brand of Nike is the swoosh or just do it or the Michael Jordan flying through the air. Uh, it's not, it has nothing to do with those things. If you look at the commercials, if you look at the ads, if you look at the material, the things they cover, what they're really talking about, not whether they're showing famous people or not famous people, what their brand truly is, is this concept that they want to make everybody an athlete. They want to encourage everyone to become an athlete. If they had a commercial in which someone famous was wearing, you know, George Clooney for whatever reason, is wearing Nike shoes and sitting around doing nothing, that doesn't connect with the brand. That, that would feel so strange compared to uh, LeBron going in for a dunk or, uh, you know, somebody, I don't know, pick a sport doesn't matter but it doesn't have to be famous or not famous it's a matter of showing people becoming athletes and that's the core that is the true brand of nike the way they express it the way they connect it are the commercials and the ads and the tagline and the swoosh are the reminders the callbacks to say remember we're all about athletes an employer brands the same kind of way it's this pattern that repeats over and over again so what you think about say an iphone and what i think about an iphone may be radically different i may think it's a gorgeous, perfectly designed, uh, a well-built piece of mechanical and digital hardware genius. You might think it's overpriced piece of aluminum glass that someone is fetishized to the point of, ugh, really, it's just a phone. Why do we have to over, you know, be so over-enthusiastic about this? And the truth is, both of those perceptions of the brand are true. And every time I touch my iPhone, I go, oh, this is great. And every time you have to see somebody like me touch my iPhone, you go, oh, really? That reinforces that brand pattern, that brand perception. And that's the pattern that says this is what the brand is. So if you take that idea of a brand pattern that is individually perceived, your employer brand is the same idea. Every time you see the logo, every time you hear the company's name, what you see positively or negatively builds a pattern. Um, if you are perhaps the owner of a very large airlines and you spent millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to remind everybody how customer centric you are and how much you love your customers and how much you give to your customers and care about your customers in one day, somebody calls the cops on one of your passengers and bangs them their head all about the airplane on the way out. That difference is altering the pattern. It's no longer customer, customer, customer centric. It's about, oh, it's the company. And it breaks the pattern completely. And in fact, in that case, it effectively negates all of the investment that brand has made saying a company centric. One action by one person completely demolished that brand. And that's what it is. It's a pattern. And so you have to align all the different pieces, everything from your consumer experience and the news about you and the word of mouth and your social channels and your website and 
you know, what your recruiters say on, on the reach out and on the in-mail, what have you, to the website, to the ads you put out, to the job, where you write your job descriptions, to how the hiring manager interacts with you, to the offer, to the building, to everything that gets them to the point where the butt's in the seat, so to speak. Uh, that all is the pattern for an employer brand. Interesting. Uh, I love the Nike analogy and also the analogy of the plane, uh, the plane passenger incident, which happened not so long ago. Oh, yeah. And and uh, it, you're right. As as I think about these examples, if I'm a candidate, it does invoke a different type of emotion. And I say to myself, do I want to be associated with that type of company? Mm-hmm. So now you're talking. Now, now you're flipping the script because. Up, People on the other side, let's say candidates who um, are trying to get a job, they think it is hard to get a job. But I, I've heard the same thing from recruiters and hiring managers. It's also good, tough to get good candidates yep. in markets like Chicago, in markets like um, New York, in markets like Toronto. So, San Francisco and yeah. LA. I mean, to be fair, and I've been on both sides of this. I've, I know the frustration of finding a job and it seems to take a lot longer than you think you would, regardless of how talented you may or may be or experienced you may or may be. The trick, of course, is creating fit. And that is a function of the employer brand being well communicated and the, cons- the, the candidate understanding that brand and realizing I fit, this makes sense to me, or I don't fit and deciding that's not a brand I want to approach. That fit is what takes so much time. So even if you're an amazing candidate, even if you invented cold fusion, it still takes time to find the right fit. And that's mm-hmm. on both sides of the coin. Recruiters complain that they can't find the talent. That's bull. The talent is all out there. The problem is the talent is not attracted to your brand. And when the other way around, it's not that you're not good. It's just that you're not a good fit because you are either, let's say, too focused on work-life balance or too focused on your own career or too focused on ambition or to- something that doesn't quite mesh with that employer brand. That finding a fit is what takes so long. But that means, you know, to go back to your original audience to talk about uh, job hunters, it's imperative to them to understand what the employer brand is and to show how their experience, skills, attitudes, personality fits with that employer brand. So if you're trying to, you know, let's invoke uh, Goldman Sachs, who I don't mind mentioning by name because they are who they are. And they are not a place where anybody gets a warm and fuzzy feeling when they go to work. They are not at all about work-life balance. They want to run, they want to work you into the ground uh-huh. and they want you to work 14 to 16 hour days. They don't, if they could have you live at their office, I'm sure they would find a way to do that. Um, and no one goes to Goldman Sachs to say, I would like a nine to five job where I'm not too stressed out. No, that doesn't happen. But people who try to apply for those jobs say, and, and who don't you know, make it very clear how much they want a 12 to 14 hour job where they are pushed to you know, the, their limits, to test their limits, who are willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done, they don't get the callbacks. And so that's the nature of showing how you understand what the employer brand is and how you fit within that employer brand. That's where the, uh, the interview happens. That's when you get the callback is when it make, you make it very clear that you fit. And trust me, there are a million people who have any given skill set. There are a million developers. There are a million stock traders. There are a million, there's probably a million employer brand people probably somewhere if you, if you dug hard enough. It's not a lack of talent. It's, a, it's just hard to define and create that fit. I would like to come back to that fit in a moment because that is, you hit a key point there. 
I think a lot of companies fail to show that to the candidates in my experience, mm-hmm. or they don't articulate it very well, or they don't mention it during the interview. Yeah. Um, and that's why there is frustration from both ends once someone comes on board. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to take, uh, take a step back and go back to the original question. You, you have described very well. I think it's the most articulate description of what employee branding is. Um, why is it important? Why should a business, a small business, um, pay attention? Why should they care about instead of making good products, let's say? (laughs) Well, they should definitely concern uh, concern themselves with making good products. That is uh, probably first and foremost. But when it comes right down to it, if there are a million candidates and you need to hire one, each one is a person and each person has motivations and concerns and uh, frustrations and things they care about. And you have to match that. Otherwise, people will simply not apply. There are, you go to Indeed or go to any job board and search for the job you're looking for and see how many thousands and thousands and thousands of other jobs are just like yours. And if you don't have a well-defined employer brand, effectively, it's a lottery. Effectively, you're hoping somebody sees your job description and says, sure, I'll apply for that. And that sounds like no fun at all. That sounds like the kind of candidate I'm not going to go bend over backwards to go, go meet. That sounds like someone who's just hitting the apply button in the hope that the law of big numbers gets the phone interview. Uh, You want someone who goes, yes, of all the, of the 20 million, 25 million companies in North America, you're the one I want to work for. Not just because I happen to trip over your job description, which by the way, sounds like every other job description, but because I know something about your company, that its mission is aligned with my mission, that it's uh, motivation that you understand my motivations and you value my motivations, that your employer brand meshes with who I am as a worker. That's how you create an employer brand and that's where it's so valuable. Otherwise, again, you're just trying to get lucky and trying to find talent. You have a recruiter who's making phone calls and if your recruiter has found that person on LinkedIn or wherever, um, chances are other companies have found that person and those people are also sending in mails and making phone calls why on earth would they talk to you over all of them? If you can't answer that simple question in five seconds in a way that's demonstrably true, try again. You're done. You're just, you're toast. You are going to be yet another company, you know, and you're going to be having to fight against, you know, uh, you know, if it's the tech space, you have to fight against Google and Facebook and Amazon. If it's the financial sector, you're fighting against Goldman Sachs and those companies. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what company you know you're talking about you are fighting against all those big companies and if you are not well employer branded you're going to be competing against things that you don't want to compete against namely salary something very obvious that you can use Um, companies that don't have a well-established employer brand have to lean on their salary to show why they're a good workforce and frankly if you're only you know leaning on your salary you're only hiring the most uh, mercenary of employees, the ones who are most likely to walk away very quickly and not have uh, long longevity within your company, people who don't get it, people who don't embrace your employer brand, your mission, your value, your company, and you're just band-aiding over a problem. If you have a strong employer brand, think of um, teachers. Think of, uh, here's, a, here's a completely out of left field one. Think of the Marines. Uh-huh. Now, regardless of what you think about the armed services one way or the other, there are plenty of people who want to join the Marines. The Marines have no problems bringing people in. These, this is a job where they don't get paid very much that, frankly, occasionally they get shot at. If they get shot, they have not so great health care. Um, their housing situations are complicated. Their spouse's situations are complicated. They go wherever they're told to go for as long as they're to- told to go. For me, that sounds like the worst possible job in the world. 
And for somebody else, that sounds like an amazing opportunity, a place where they can truly test what they're able to do. That's a strong employer brand, the able to attract someone as well as you know, push someone else away with equal strength. So they're pushing me away because that doesn't sound like a job I would want, but someone else they're attracting very strongly because that's exactly what they want. And because of that strong employer brand, they don't need to pay them huge sums of money. They can pay them what they pay them and that's that. Same thing is true for your employer brand. If you have no strong employer brand, you have to fight with money. If you have a strong employer brand and people who are attracted to your mission, you don't have to pay them as much and you can talk to them at a level that's more meaningful to them and they're more likely to stay. I think that's a great summary. So you, what, what I heard from that is, um, to summarize here, as if you are not articulating what do you stand for and what type of environment would be, A, you would not get the right candidates applying to your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and B, uh, if, if you will, the only thing that can, uh, that will give you an advantage uh, is by paying them a higher salary. And that always, if you're only, if the only reason someone works for you is just because higher salary, then it's not necessarily a great fit. Yeah. Right? That, that, yeah. That's a short term solution. I mean, anybody can hire talent for it for the short term. Hiring and attracting talent that really embraces what you do. That's that's the hard part And that's really what an employer brand helps do and you can it's we're not I'm I'm using and referencing very large companies, but it's not specific to large companies There are plenty of companies who are small who are standing for something particular who are showing off exactly what they're all about Uh, You know, there there's a a fairly well-known or at least it's very viral right now There's a a case of someone uh, and I won't name the company, but you can find it pretty quickly. They emailed their boss and said, hey, I'd have to take a mental health day. And the CEO, that email bounced up to the CEO and the CEO responded by saying, you know what? I think that's a great idea. It's really important that you take care of yourself so that when you come back to work, you can bring your whole self to work. That person copied that email and passed around Twitter and it went viral. Why? That's amazing. And what does that matter? Well, as well, you're showing deep down who you are. That's an employer brand, whether that's meant to be an employer brand that is now effectively that company's employer brand this is a company that cares so much about its workers it does something as shocking as commend an employee for taking a day off plenty of companies say things like oh you know do what you need to do or there's unlimited time off but i don't know many companies whose ceo said good for you for taking a day off if you needed one for recognizing that you needed one for doing it this company is not very big and they're going to get all sorts of applicants and candidates will absolutely respond to them because they, at least the ones who get what that message is all about and say, yes, this sounds like a company who truly values their employees and I want to be part of that. Just that one email is now the beginning of their employer brand and it's going to help their recruiting efforts immensely for the next two to five years. That's amazing because I can think of companies on and these are public, right? For example, you hear about Uber a lot. Oh, um, Uber's uh, one of my favorite stories. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. And as, as a user of Uber, I'm telling you, I'm a huge fan. Like, I use yeah. Uber. I don't have, I live in a metro, a big city. Mm-hmm. I don't have a car. And yeah. one of the reasons yeah. I decided not to have a car is because of the public transit and Uber. It yeah. makes my life easier. Wherever I go, it is, it is so, and I've also spoken to the Uber drivers. Uh, I get mixed feelings. Some of them are unhappy. Many of them are happy. So it has created a culture of um, happy customers, happy drivers. Uh, and however, if you look, look on the employee side, it's, it's uh, what do you call it? So it's a rotating door. They've had a lot. They've mm-hmm. had lots of issues. So if you're new, you're just out of school, 
if you are reading this and you'll think, oh, maybe, I mean, I liked Uber, but I don't know if I want to work there. Yeah. All of a sudden, you might be one of the best candidates they would ever find. You're not applying. And that's, the, 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 you're, uh, so that's something a company like Uber is missing out. There could be a lot of people that could apply and change the company, but they're not applying just because of all this. Yeah, let's break down Uber for a couple of seconds here because I think it is, you're 100% right. It's a great case where from a consumer standpoint, it's absolutely changed my life. It's changed your life. For a lot of people, it's changed theirs. It's given them opportunities that, you know, five years ago, going to certain cities and relying on a cab was pretty much gambling. It was rough. Uh, you never knew what you were going to get. I've flown in, and done work in cities where I'm pretty sure there was one cab. Uh, I, I took that cab from the airport to the job and from the job back to the airport that same day. Uber really changes all that. However, a year ago, uh, or not even quite a year ago, um, the first you know issue started to to, uh, to crack where uh, a, a project manager who was a woman quit and launched a, wrote a very long blog post about how at every level the sexual harassment was really brutal and that went viral. Then you have the CEO yelling at a driver. Then you have the news that they're breaking rules and breaking laws and, and, and showing regulators a different app than they show the rest of the people so that they can protect and cover their tracks. Then you start to hear, and it's that ball that's so, you know, that simple, you know, their companies have issues and companies have problems and they employees have issues and that's normal. But for that, that small snowball to start to grow as it rolls downhill and you get more complaints of sexual harassment to the point where they had to hire their own investigator to investigate itself to see where the, the sexual harassment was. And it turns out it was everywhere. You had your, one of your C-suite executives on stage effectively say something negative about its women employees, it just got bigger and bigger. Now, what does that mean to someone exactly, like you said, coming out of school or someone who's a, a very good developer, they have a choice. They can work at any number of companies. They can work at a small company where they might have a massive impact, but the company might fail because it doesn't have a proven track record, or maybe they won't get salary for the first year until the company you know, gain some value and get some funding and then they can, you know, they, they, they cash in their stock one day and it's a gamble or they can work for a massive company like a Facebook or an Amazon where maybe their work doesn't make the same impact because they're one of a, you know, tens of thousands of developers and, you know, it's, it's a different place to work. You have a choice and to choose Uber means to say, I've decided that I don't care about the sexual harassment stuff and I don't care about the fact that the CEO seems to be, or the former CEO anyway, they, they have changed that, uh, seems to be a total jerk. Um, I have no problems with the fact that even when they know there's a problem, they seem to double down on that problem I, and I, there's something there I like. Now, those people exist. I don't know them. I'm not friends with them because I think my friends would say and the people I know who are developers would say, that doesn't sound like an environment I want to work at. So that's a case where Uber has an incredibly strong employer brand. It's not strictly what I would call positive, but it's incredibly strong. And everybody who applies for the jobs there knows exactly what they're getting into. The news and the, the, the blogosphere and the social space has made that very clear what Uber is really like. Now, with the new CEO, can they change that? Sure, they can start to shift that around. But you don't go in there not knowing. So there's, they're actually going to start to attract more developers, for example, who don't mind the sexual harassment and don't mind a little bit of a frat house kind of mentality. And that just reinforces the idea that that's the kind of place where those people should work. Then there are people who are not interested in that sort of thing. And they're going to find other places to work. The Uber will be on their never in a million years list of places they'd work. That's what a strong employer brand does. It, re it rejects and attracts an equal strength. There's no such thing as a 
bad employer brand. It's just not necessarily, there's weak and there's strong, but any employer brand, no matter how negative to you, is positive to someone else. That's actually interesting. I did not think of that because I was thinking of, let's say, because of all the harassment cases, uh, many women would not apply to the company. Yeah. But you also said there could be someone else who would mind that culture. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. So uh, your brand could be uh, interpreted multiple ways um, as well. So that's that's a totally different take. And I thanks for expl- expl- expanding on that. Yeah, and that's why it's it's so personal. It's how you perceive it, and you know you perceive that Nike or that Apple or that whatever a differently than how I perceive it. And to you, it's repulsive, and to me, it's gorgeous. Uh-huh. That's they're both true, and that's the same for for an employer brand. Okay, um, so I want to uh, expand on this topic next. The question I have is: um, you have been doing this for a while. Uh, you're a strategist on this. You're an expert. What do you, where do you think companies are failing? Like, what are some of the mistakes they make when it comes to their branding? Like, you've given an example of Uber. Yeah. Um, but let's say a small business or a medium-sized business, where do you think they struggle or make mistakes? Yeah, that's a great question because there's a very definitive answer to that. And that is most companies, especially the ones who aren't either mature enough or I won't say smart enough, that's too easy. But for whatever reason, and, I, and there are a lot of reasons why, they've decided that it makes more sense to try and attract everybody rather than just attract the people who fit. So for example, in consumer marketing, you live in a world where um, it doesn't matter who the buyer is. If they've got the money, you've got the product and they're a perfect match for you. So if you sell ice cream cones and someone's got a dollar, you've got a buyer. If it's hot out, perfect. If it's not, well, you can probably talk them into it. Anyway, ice cream's delicious. It doesn't matter if that person is the president of uh, pick a big company or pick a, a big con- a country or a, you know, a homeless person or a man or woman or brown or black or gray or white. doesn't matter. None of those things matter. If they've got a dollar, you've got a sale. Now, from an employer brand standpoint, that's not true. You have to fit. You have to be someone who fits. We talked about that. So when, in order to make that fit happen, you can't just look for candidates and say, I like you, but I don't like you. You're focusing on not building a quantity of interactions, you're focused on building the quality of interactions. You're trying to find people who fit and building a lot of good conversation with them because you won't hire just anybody. Not everybody's just going to be a fit. You are going to hire people who fit. Now, fit, as we said, is a two-way street. You have to understand what the candidate's all about. You have to look at the candidate and say, you're a shark or a sheep. You're all about um, success or you're all about work-life balance. You're all about finding a way to support each other or you're all about individual achievement. All those things are what help you define, would this person be a fit? The problem is if you're a company who doesn't understand your employer brand, it doesn't stand in your employer brand or just is trying to show the positive about everything you do and never show the negative or never show the, the, the other side of that coin and you're projecting this blandly positive sense of who you are, what exactly is the candidate going to know about you? An employer brand has to be strongly felt. So again, in the case of Uber, it's not a bad employer brand. It's a very strong one. It's going to absolutely attract a particular kind of person. Are there a lot of them? Eh, well, that's, a, that's a debate we can have later on, but they're definitely going to attract a certain kind of person. If you're always talking about how great you are and, and you're a best-in-class company and you have the best perks and, you, and every company says they do and every company says, 
they're the employer of choice. And every company says that they have some of the smartest people around. And every company says they have great products. And every company says they're very innovative. And every company says, every company says, every company says. And all of it's bull. All of it's a lie. Because in the 20 million companies in, the, in North America, they can't all be the best of everything. If you're a company and you have a strong employer brand, you admit that there are things you're great at and there are things that some people won't like. So for example, go to Google. Everybody loves Google, right? Everybody wants to work for Google. Survey after survey says we gotta work for Google. Everybody wants to work for Google. Why? Well, gosh, do you know they have buckets of M&Ms all over the place? And gosh, do you know they have free lunch? And gosh, do you know that they have coffee like 12 feet from every desk and each coffee machine has like six, dif six different kinds of milk? And gosh, did you know they have massage rooms? And gosh, did you know? And gosh, did you know? And all those perks sound amazing until you look why those perks exist. To get you to never go home. To get you to stay and work and work and work. The reason all those perks happen is at Google's inception, developers who love doing this work kept ordering pizzas and sleeping under their desks. And the company said, well, if we centralize this and you know, give it to them for free, it'll look like a huge perk and we actually get more of what we want, and that is productivity. So when you realize all those perks are there to keep you from never going home and working and working and working, does that seem attractive to you still? Eh, maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe you're a workaholic and maybe, thank goodness, I don't have to deal with anything that doesn't work and that's fantastic for you. And maybe you go, well, I have a family or I have a relationship and I have a, f a hobby or two and I would like to keep up with them and it doesn't feel like a good fit anymore. So having a strong employer brand allows you to say, look, here's the good and here's the bad. Now, the bad isn't, and by the way, I don't know, hail Satan or something, um, you know, something universally bad. It's about, look, what's bad is for some people is actually good for you. Goldman Sachs, we're going to work you to death. What's good about it is you're probably going to make a lot of money. Now, if that's a great transaction for you, come on down. If that's not a great transaction for you, I'm sure there are 20 million companies who would much rather hire you than not us. So if you're not projecting the good and the bad, if you're not showing the other side of, hey, we're always good at stuff, and hey, we always like each other. I always go back to this. I have never seen a website, a career site, in which there weren't smiling people. Every website, smiling people, smiling people, smiling people. Now go to their office. Are they all smiling? No, of course not. That's crazy. That would be like a lunatic asylum. Uh, you know, everybody's huffing lithium or something. Like, that's crazy. People are working. They're serious. They got the serious face. Whether they're scowling or whether they've got a neutral face, the real work is not always smiling. And yet somehow, those websites, everybody's always smiling. That is a non-authentic view of that company. And people naturally go, yeah, that's bull. I'm, I'm going I'm to negate that. I'm going to say that's all. And once you start to realize that people look at your website and your materials and your marketing materials and they start to negate the stuff that they go, yeah, that's marketing. I don't believe that. You realize what you're left with is very, very little. It's very, very thin. So if you're a small company, the goal is not to appeal to everyone because one, you can't hire everyone, and two, you need to find a good fit. The real goal is to project a strong employer brand to say, look, even if we only appeal to 1% of the population, this is a pretty big world. You're still talking about millions and millions of great people. Just project, you know, focus on the 1% of people who get your mission or get what you're all about or get what you're trying to achieve or get the way, you, way you're trying to do that. Not try to appeal to everybody. The only thing that everybody likes is or everybody agrees on is the sky is generally blue and puppies are generally pretty cute. Beyond that, there's always, you know, sides to stuff. And you can't say we're going to be universally attractive. Even, even Google, the number one most desired employer in the world, has plenty of people who would go, you couldn't pay me enough to work at that company. And that's fine. 
You don't need to be universally loved. You aren't selling ice cream cones to as many people as you can find. You're trying to build relationships with people who fit. So again, fit is both sides. If you're looking for sheep, you have to tell people and show people you're a place where sheep are going to get the most work done and be valued. If you're looking for sharks, you've got to show off exactly what it means to be a shark and why are you committed to sharks. That means if you're committed to sharks, hey, we work really hard. Hey, it's a somewhat political atmosphere. Hey, we are ambitious and we, and we push as hard as we can. To some people, that's terrifying. To some people, that sounds like heaven. That's the trick. Figure out what makes you different and project that. Don't worry about showing off the negative side to it because it's not negative to everybody. You've got plenty of people who work for you. Clearly, some people get it. Some people love it. But you trying to be wishy-washy and try to be bland and trying to be universally positive like every other company does is how you're going to fail. You would just get lumped in the kind of mushy middle. Be something that somebody loves or somebody hates. If you're political, you know, whether it's PETA on the left side or the NRA on the right-hand side, one of those companies sounds like the worst place in the world for you to ever work. Great. That's for you. Somebody's going to say that sounds like the great, great place to work. That's how this works. It's not about universal. It's about specific segmentation, niching, and really understanding fit. So James, the key thing that I took out, and I think you nailed it with the NRA versus PETA example, is as an employer, when you're trying, I think one of the mistakes most people make is you explain in the pictures, the happy smiling pictures, is they try to be, they try to appease everyone. And what you're saying is be authentic. You don't try to appease everyone. Attract, if you set your company, project in in such a way that you attract the people that you want to attract, you will have no issues finding the right candidates. Exactly. Awesome. So with that, I want to talk about, um, let, let's say um, we talked about right fit. And I think I was going to ask that question. I think you explained that uh, very well in the last example. Uh, but is there any other way where companies can articulate what the right fit is? Like for, for, for example, let's go back to the Golden Sachs, uh, Goldman Sachs example. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, I don't think they actually say in their job mm-hmm. posting, you should work 14, 16 hours, but you can Google Goldman Sachs working conditions and there are tons of reports. Yep. So uh, how do, so do you think the company should allow the media to do its job of talking about the culture or should they should talk about, um, I, I have, a, I mean, this is a dumb question. Should they talk about it or should they let the world talk about it? The answer is yes. So uh, I'm going to describe myself very quickly. I'm six foot one. I'm not particularly thin. Uh, I'm a pretty pale guy living in Chicago. If I tell everybody I'm a, uh, a woman who's five foot five, I can tell them all they want, but you're going to take one look at me and go, mm, no, you're not. So you have to really be who you are. And what happens is, is who you are tends to kind of seep in everything you do. Everything I do is from the point of a six foot one white dude, just because uh, I am. I don't have to, you know, I, I don't worry about is this being perceived as positive or negative. I just go, look, this is something that a six foot one white dude might do. And it's not something a five foot five uh, woman might do because that's not who it is. Same thing is true for companies. If you are, if you're Goldman Sachs and you're all about the sharks, everything drips with that feeling, that sensation of these are people who do not stop until it's done. These are people who would sell their grandmothers to make two cents. These are people who <laughs> will do anything it takes to make money. Those, and, and good for them. Good for, I, there's no, 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 you know, I'm not telling you you're wrong. Those people, that's who they are and that's how they want to do it. Great. That's not me, but that may, not, may, may or may not be you, but that's who they are. So everything, their press releases, their glass door reviews, and that we, we didn't really touch on that yet. Um, the news, the way people talk about them, the word of mouth, 
If you know anybody who works there, you get that sense real fast. Um, if you interview there, there, oh, you know what? They have a great app um, that, re- that literally says the application process is rigorous. Again, we are killers. We do not take weakness lightly. We are, you know, everything about them says we are going to run you through the ringer to see if you're even worth talking to. So their app is designed to walk you through the process of preparing to apply. That is insane, but that's exactly who they are. They want to make sure that you have every chance to do it right, but it's going to be hard. So every layer, every aspect, every tool, every communication point, every touch point drips with that sensation. The companies who do this poorly are the ones who don't know who they are and are sending lots of different mixed messages. Their website says they're all about smiley, happy faces. The job description says they're all about hard work. The, the recruiter is all about, tells you how much money you're going to make, and the hire manager says, or the you know hire manager says we're here to to achieve things. Um, and, and then something else says we're all about work-life balance. Those mixed messages says you don't know who you are, and I don't know who to believe. So therefore, I'm going to believe none of it. You really have to say all of those tools. Again, think about that pattern. Think about that airline that spent all that money and one incident completely destroyed that pattern. You have to know your pattern and project that pattern out at every stage of the game. You have to project that pattern out to people who haven't even thought about looking for a job. You have to project that pattern out to people who are looking at your job descriptions, to people who are looking at your Glassdoor reviews, to people who are actively applying, to people your recruiters are talking to. You have to project that out at the interview stage, at the offer stage, and frankly, until that person's sitting in the first seat the first day, you've got to keep projecting it. And if you don't, you're sending mixed, mixed, mixed signals and mixed messages, and you're asking the candidate to leave. You're, you're saying, we don't know who we are, so best of luck figuring this out. That kind of uncertainty demands that people run away. So, yes, your consumer brand has an impact. Yes, your, the news about you has an impact. So does your website. And Glassdoor is a, an amazing uh, tool uh, for pro, pro and con, pluses and minuses out you know, all over the place. But what they're able to do is give you a sense as a candidate, here's what people say who have been on the inside. Now, there's really no managing that. You can augment and support a little bit. You can nudge it one way or the other. But in the end, if you're a company that's all, if you're a Goldman Sachs and you're all about sharks making, you know, working 12 to 14 hours a day in the search for yet another dollar, at no point should you expect your Glassdoor reviews to talk about the amazing work-life balance because that is not who you are. That's the trick is that you really just have to know who you are, know thyself as it were, and project that out at every stage of the game. Okay. Thanks for uh, clarifying that because uh, I'm sure that was a question many people listening to this would have. So one of the questions, I, one of the uh, final questions I would like to ask you is, in your experience, what are the top two or three things someone can take, some actionable ins- actions, uh, insights they can take um, to get started on a right employment employer branding strategy? So if you're talking about a business and what they can do, the first thing I would say is you have to kind of have a platform on which to stand, that sense of, look, we're all about X. Every team, every um, department, every location globally all has to stand for X. And that's not an easy ask, certainly. It's, it, that's a, sometimes a very tough thing to ask a company to do. Um, companies, especially if they're driven by their consumer marketing, and pretty much every company is, they want to appeal to everyone. They want that universal appeal, which we know here in this case doesn't work out. 
So you have to be able to say, we want someone who's good at this, and we don't care about people who aren't good at that. You need to start to define what I would refer to as the edges. What are the edges of your brand? If, um, you know, when you talk about, we're all about customer service, great. The airline said that, but Nordstrom says that. Zappos says that. And frankly, when I think about amazing customer service, I go back to Nordstrom and Zappos. Zappos, the the shoe and clothing retailer online who you can send anything back for any reason and they will happily refund your money. If you call their support line, they will happily talk to you for as long as you want about any subject you want. They don't, they will give whatever they can for customer service. That is a company that's decided we're not saying we have the work-life balance. We're not saying it's the best technology. We're not saying it's a high-status job or a high-paying job. I frankly have no idea what they pay. Um, what they're saying is we are all about the customer, and we will take that to the extreme. What exactly can your company embrace and take to an extreme? Where are the places that you, you know, how far can you push that edge? That's your employer brand. Don't worry about giving it a fancy label. Don't worry about giving it a polished kind of a, a tagline or anything like that. Just say, you know what? In the end, we're all about work-life balance, status, technology, growth, support, whatever it is. Pick it, own it, live it. Then once you have that nailed down and you've walked it up and down the chain, you need the CEO and the VPs and the frontline employees to all go, yeah, that feels about right. That feels like who we are. And that's a crucial step, by the way. Once you have it, then you look at everything, all your touch points, everything from consumer products, the news, word of mouth, LinkedIn, what your recruiter says when they reach out, what your recruiter says when someone responds, what your job descriptions say, what your career site says, your social media channels, what do your Glassdoor reviews say, uh, what do your hiring managers say, what are talking points that happen when they come in for an interview. When you give that person a tour of your office, what are you telling them? What is the follow-up points? What does the offer letter look like? Everything has to align to this idea. Sometimes subtly, sometimes obviously, but again, if you have one thing that's jarringly different, it's obvious and it starts to break the pattern and your brand is no longer strong. So it's all about understanding who you are and what you're all about and then making sure it's threaded through everything you do. In no way is that easy or fast. I promise you, it doesn't matter who you are, it's not, a, not an easy thing to ask, but it is a process. It takes time to understand and own who you are, and then over the course of six months, 12 months, 24 months, you start to thread it through all those things, and then you can say, how do we make it stronger? How do we make it clearer? How do we refine it? How do we make it even more focused? That's the process of really owning your employer brand. Wow, that's a great uh, wrap-up uh, right there. And, um, we are coming to the end of our interview here, James. Before we wrap up and conclude the interview, any any last words, anything that we did not discuss today? No, it, it, honestly, employer brand is a fairly new idea here in the States. It's been a fairly common thing in, in, the U, in, in uh, Europe and in UK for a couple of years. Like the concept was effectively event, invented in the 90s in London. But here in the States, we're realizing that we need to get serious about this. So if you wonder, if you think you're behind the, behind the curve and you think, gosh, we've never done anything like that, we haven't thought about that, trust me, you are not the only ones. However, you have to start today. You have to get started now because it's not going to get easier. If you're hiring a developer, do you think waiting a year to hire a developer, it's going to be easier in a year? No, it's not. It's going to be 
harder. If you think waiting a year to hire a manager is going to be easier, no, it's going to be harder. They're just always going the, the drive and search for talent is just going to ratchet up more and more. And waiting and hiding your head in the sand is a great way for your company to fall behind. So it's about deciding to take steps today to move it forward in an incremental fashion. Great. In a broad leap. Great. So long as it's authentic and real and who true to who you are, you got to get started. Okay. And uh, I also failed to ask you this question, James, if after listening to this, if the audience wanted to reach out to you, they wanted to learn more about what you do, how, do, how can they do that? The best way is to either listen to my podcast, which is called the talent cast uh, or just find me on Twitter. I'm at the war for talent, the war for talent. Um, <laughs> in the recruiting space, the concept of a war for talent is kind of falling, you know, everybody's saying, well, gosh, that meta military metaphor seems so out of date. And I'm like, great, but you got to give me a better Twitter handle then because right now that's all I got. So those are the best ways to find me and talk to me. I love to engage on Twitter. I love to, to answer questions on my podcast. That's, that's probably the best ways. Awesome. Uh, James, thanks for joining us. Uh, you shared a lot uh, about the subject. You give great examples, anecdotes, uh, stories. I uh, appreciate you uh, sharing the insights. Thank you very much. Thrilled to do it. Thanks so much for asking me to come on. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Career Medics Podcast. I have written a brief summary of the interview uh, with also the links to James's podcast and, and his website as well. If you enjoyed this episode and also learned something new about the concept of employer branding, feel free to post a comment or review. And if you really loved it, definitely go ahead and share this episode among your network. Until next time, this is Nisar Ahmed, your host for the Career Medics Podcast. Thank you. 